0: We're just thankful that we're here. You called us here for a reason, for a purpose, and and I believe in your sovereignty. Everybody is here for a reason, that you've you've called us here to gather for your word to be heard. So I pray this, that whatever I say that's not good or whatever is coming out of my voice, God, they don't see Marshall, but they hear your word and the truth of your word and the heart behind your word, what you would have us here this morning. Open our ears, open our minds, open our hearts for you this morning, Jesus. Amen. Well, I... uh, this morning, I mentioned that when I say this morning, I have students that always make fun of me. They're right there. So it's, it's hard sometimes, because you always say this morning, because we're talking about this morning. But, so they were counting it this morning, but I'm gonna try my best not to. But this morning, um, it's hard. It's just, today, today, we are gonna talk about a very difficult subject, one that's a little bit weird. We're gonna talk about a woman who has bled for 12 years And that's an odd church topic, but it is such a a special story. But I'll tell you why we're going to talk about it. In 2020, um, as we began September up to 2023, our youth ministry, we went through the Sermon on the Mount. So we went through Jesus' words, Sermon on the Mount. And as we ended and got into 2023, we ended that series, we ended on a tree and its fruit. And if you don't know that very well, it's just basically this. If you are a Christ follower, if you have grafted into the tree, then the natural response is fruit should come out of you. Good fruit. We should see what Christ has done in our lives, should come out of us. We should respond to what Christ has done with joy. We should worship Jesus in how we live our life. So, the the series that we're going into, we started earlier, is called Release Your Worship. And we're asking our students, the challenges for our students, and of course to our church today, is that as we live a life for Christ, we should be releasing our worship. And the question is, what does it look like? How does it come out? What do you do to release your worship? At the start of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, let your good deeds shine out for all the men to see so they can give praise to your heavenly Father. So if we're followers of Christ and we've been saved, then there should be a response coming out of us. That is the requirement of salvation is that something comes out of us. There's a goodness, there's a thing that we do, there's a way that we release our praise to Jesus. So that's the question going forward, and that's why I landed on this story specifically. It's a fascinating story. Uh, we're going to open our Bibles. If you don't have one in front of you, underneath the chairs, there may be a blue Bible. Please, you're welcome to grab that, use it. If you want to take it home with you, we'd love to gift it to you. Not the best Bible, but it's, it's what we got. Um, and if you're opening that, it's page 959. We're going to Luke 8. So crack your Bibles open to Luke 8, Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 8. We're going to look at this story together. 8, Verse 43. Let me read it to you there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and though she had spent all of her living on physicians she couldn't be healed by anyone she came up behind him him being jesus she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased and jesus says who is it that touched me when all denied it, Peter said, "Master, the crowds surround you; they're pressing in on you." But Jesus said, "Someone touched me, for I perceive the power has gone out of me." And when Jesus saw, or sorry, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him, and de- declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her daughter, "Your faith has made you well. Go in peace." This is such a fascinating story. If you think of what the purpose of the scriptures is, to point to the the glory, the holiness, the preeminence of King Jesus, to point us to the the perfect king of all creation, you would think historically, the way we are, the way people that write history, wouldn't put in things like this, stories like this. Because we're talking about a lower class person just by her gender in this culture. Just because she's a woman in this culture, she's already lower class. But then we're going to add on to that lower classness. She's also poor, probably homeless, because the text says she's given all of her living away, trying to pay for doctors to heal her. So we have this low class woman who's probably homeless, living in poverty. And then we're going to add on something even worse, that she's been bleeding for 12 years. Like that's as, that's as low as you can go. And then we have in this, in this text, like it's not, it's not dealing with this massive revolt between Romans and Jews, and Jesus isn't coming in doing this huge miracle that will oversee thousands of people, but instead we see a single woman with a very personal issue, and we see the Spirit inclined to tell us about it. It's so strange that this would hit the Scriptures, and it's not just in Luke, it's also in Matthew and Mark, and what I love about Jesus is that just, that's just what he does. He does things that we don't expect. So in this story, Jesus, just to give us an update of what's happening, Jesus is on the way. If you look a little bit ahead, uh, uh, sorry, at the start of this chapter, he's on his way to a guy named Jairus' house, whose daughter, who is 12, is dying. Jairus is the leader of a synagogue. And he has asked Christ to come help. And maybe, and I, I don't even know this, maybe there's something there about his daughter being 12 years old and dying, and this woman having a discharge of blood for 12 years and dying. And interesting enough, we, we could almost bypass this because this story happens right in between when Jesus is walking to Jairus' daughter who, who actually dies and he raises back to life. Kind of a big deal, not a caveat, but that's another message. But inside of this story where Christ is walking to heal Jairus' 12-year-old daughter from death to life, we have this story of this woman. We, we have this picture of Jesus walking through and if, if you know like Towns are small, little pebble roads and everything's close and you can just see the hordes of people, like you can understand the hordes of people. There's no flat screen TV and satellite television where everybody isolates in their homes. They're all outside. They're all aware. They all know. They're all, they're all aware of this Jesus character and what he's doing. I'm sure a lot aren't sure what to believe. I'm sure a lot are angry. I'm sure a lot are excited. But we can go backwards and I'll just give you a couple things of what Jesus has done up to this point to understand how big this crowd is and what's actually probably going through their minds here. If you go back to Luke chapter four, you don't have to, but at that point he had healed many people. He's healed the leper and the paralytic. John the Baptist has confirmed him, John who's well known, has confirmed him as the Messiah. Jesus has given, has given his incredibly famous sermon on the mount which has Pharisees starting to get angry, starting to know that they don't like this character. He's healed the centurion's servant. He's cast out demons from the demon-possessed man. He's silenced the seas and he's spoken parables to large groups of people. More and more and more. That's just what, what's written. So this story comes when there are hordes of people. Like they know who Jesus is. And in the middle of this, all these people, you can picture it, like clamoring over him, yelling, reaching out, calling, who is this? Heal me. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then, and then we see that's when this woman enters the scene. And according to culture, this woman is unclean. So that's, that's like she... She is well aware of her status and culture. She's well aware. She is unclean, and that's like the pervasive teaching of the time. It's a pervasive teaching. It's well known that because of her condition, she is unclean, and not just physically unclean. Of course, a woman in the Middle East, bleeding for 12 years, hemorrhaging, is unclean physically. That's a tough scene to deal with. But then she's also, to add it on, ritualistically unclean. Ritualistically unclean. This is this is from uh, the Jewish rabbinical law called the Talmud. Maybe it's Tahmud, I don't know. You can pronounce it however you like. And it's this thing of impure called Tuma. And what we have in this this idea, the ritually unclean, is that because of her bleeding, or it could be any disease or sickness that would make her physically, outwardly unclean, because of that, Tuma um, requires that she be fully ritualistically clean, because anything she touches, any person she interacts with, they would also become unclean. If she sits on a chair, that chair is unclean, and it would have to be ritualistically cleaned before it can be used again. Same with people. This means she couldn't go to stores, she couldn't buy things, she couldn't go into the temple, she couldn't use public bathrooms, she couldn't go to restaurants, she wasn't welcome anywhere, she wasn't loved anywhere, she wasn't valued anywhere. The religious people at this time, and this is just so much worse and filthy, but the religious people at this time, they would see these diseases as a direct response from God and consider these things to be punishments for their sin. So on top of this, like, weight of her disease, her weight of her lack of value and no worth and no money and no available, no resources, on top of that, it's just that she's deserving of it. She feels like she's deserving of it, probably. The amount that they would say that. They see, they see these people as sinful nobodies that are deserving of their plight. She was taught that. She would have known that. She would have probably deeply felt this. There is... Um, Sorry, there's a sect of Pharisees. I find this fascinating. I'll bring you in on it. In the Talmud, there's seven different Pharisees listed, and one of them is called the blind. And actually, another name used for them is the bruised and the bleeding. And this is so fascinating. These these Pharisees are so holy, so righteous, so worthy of their own self-righteousness that if a woman passed, they would actually close their eyes, look the other way, and keep walking. If they saw a beggar, a homeless, a blind person... (coughs) because that's a consequence of their sin. Of course, according to these men, they would close their eyes and keep walking and they would smash into walls and bricks and whatever's in the way. So they would get bruised and bleeding. And they were known for this. Their their level of holiness and righteousness is like, look how bruised and bleeding I am for the sake of holiness because I won't even look at the filth, the scum of the earth. What a horrible crew. There's probably the Pharisees, the same Pharisees that Jesus was referring to, Matthew 15, 14. He says, so ignore them. They are the blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they're just both going to fall into a ditch. Could be the Pharisees he was responding to. But listen, knowing all this, knowing just this picture, how the religious leaders, how the common people, how they would have viewed her, how the social networks would have isolated her. Consider how desperate and hopeless she would have been. Like, put yourself in that. Just think of how desperate and hopeless her plight would be. She spent all of her money. Nothing's left. Even even Luke, who is a doctor, Luke that wrote this is a doctor. He's saying, he seems to allude that her, her cause was incurable. There was no cure for this. No matter how much she spent, she's given everything away. So in her shame, in her position, she doesn't feel like she's worthy of actually walking up to Jesus. As Jesus is coming through this crowd, she doesn't feel because of the weight of her sin, because of the weight of her lack of value or her unworthiness, the stain on her life. She doesn't feel like she can just walk up to Jesus and ask for healing. But there's something about this woman. There's something that she she believes. She believes by faith that Jesus can do something. She just believes it. Now, now I, I can't say to why, maybe, maybe she's seen it, maybe I think she, probably she's heard of this, this Jesus person, she's aware of it, maybe she knows some of the prophecy, maybe she heard John saying this is the Messiah, maybe she knows some of the prophecy that Jesus is fulfilling, but all I know is that she believes by faith and she, she desperately wants to get close to Jesus. She's broken, she's hurting, she's unloved, she's unvalued, she's a stain on society, she just, she just needs to get near Jesus just as a side note i'm curious if you have ever felt a little bit like that maybe it's a, a time before christ maybe you're here and you don't you don't have a relationship with christ but this that that feeling that you're not you're not quite worthy enough i know the depth of my sin and there's like seasons where you're like man i'm a wreck my life's a mess and I don't feel, I don't even feel like I can walk inside the church. I don't, I don't feel like I can go with my Christian community. I don't feel like I can open the word. I certainly don't feel like I can get on my knees and talk to a, a holy, righteous God when my, my life seems to be like in this disaster zone, a bit, of a, a bit of a wreck. I feel like I might understand a little bit what she feels like. And maybe the church, sorry, apologies, but maybe historically the church has been a little bit like the Pharisees that says, no, you're not, you're not clean enough to come in. You're not ready to come in. You're not good enough to come in. We want you to, to stay out. Maybe that's what the church has done for some seasons. And I feel like, like man, I've been there. I, I feel like I know her shame, and I know, I know how she feels about not necessarily wanting to like, come in and approach the, the throne, but then she does this fantastic thing. She just does this thing. She's so desperate for healing, She's so, so desperate just to experience Jesus. She does what is so hard to do. She kind of sneaks up behind him. It's kind of, I would picture it, sorry for the back row, people like, the people who kind of just slip in the back row, just want to be unseen, want to be unnoticed. They just want want something. Just want to hear some truth. Verse 44 says, she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood was ceased. Like she's so desperate. She feels so unworthy, but she just wants to touch the fringes. Like that, that's even like pulling her unworthy. She doesn't even want to touch Jesus. She doesn't want to grab his ankle. She just wants to touch the fringes. And there's something about her faith that says, if I just get near him, if I just get near Jesus, just grab a hold of just the fringes of him that I know he can heal me. And look what happens immediately. Like immediately, Jesus answers. An act of faith and and desperation by a woman who's seen by herself and by everyone around her as unclean. There's this just incredible picture of faith. And here's what I love. Listen, I already said that the culture, if she touches a chair, it becomes unclean. She touches you, it becomes unclean. Look what Jesus does, the whole reverse. Jesus says, touch me and you'll be clean. Like, touch me and I'll take your unrighteousness and I'll make you righteous. He just flips everything that's what Jesus is so good for everything we think in our sinful nature is right and justified Jesus comes and clarifies and because of because of Christ's goodness she comes clean 45 the verse 45 Jesus says who was it that touched me it's such a peculiar question Jesus the Messiah who just had someone touch him and had 12 years of disease immediately healed by the fringes of his garment says, who touched me? Like as though he doesn't know. It seems odd that he would ask the crowd, who touched me? And Peter is like, hey master, the the crowd's surround you. They're, They're pressing in on you. Everybody's touching you. But Jesus knows the one. He just knows the one and he's like, No, 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 I I perceive, look at 46, someone touched me, for I perceive the power has gone out of me. This is so great, you gotta look at 47. There's so much weight in 47, look down at 47 with me. Verse 47 it says, and the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. There's so, there's so much weight right here in this in this part. Listen, the first part, the first thing she does after she touches him, she's been immediately healed. She knows where she is. She's been healed. She knows it. Her very first response is she just trembles before a holy God. She just trembles before a holy God that can take 12 years of illness away like that. And she just. Face down worships him in the context of release your worship in the context of when you've been saved how are you releasing your worship how are you acting in such a way that people will know you're saved her first thing to do was to come out of the crowd tremble before a holy god and worship him listen to what she does secondly this is just awesome she declares In front of all the people. Listen, this isn't like I'm going to tell my small group something secret. I'm going to text my accountability partner. I'm going to quietly whisper to a few friends. She declares in front of all the people, the people we just discussed, that were hoarding around, the Pharisees, the evil people, the horrible people, the awesome people, everybody was there. She declares in front of all the people two things. Two things. First one, why she had touched him. Why did she touch him? Because she was unclean and desperately wanted to be healed. The first thing she does, she declares, Jesus, you are my healer. You, I, I'm sinful, I'm unclean, and that's why I reached out. There's just like this, this kind of drawback to 1 John 1.19. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just that picture, she's just like, I'm unclean. She stood up in front of all the people and said, I touched him because I was unclean, publicly declaring the sin. And then the second part, so sweet. The second part is just her testimony. And we get caught up with like super long, awesome testimonies of people who lived in the jungles and Africa and caves and then got swollen by whatever happens to them. Those are awesome testimonies. Her testimony was like two words. I was immediately healed. Four words. Immediately healed. Her testimony is this, I was a sinner, I was unclean, I had nothing, I was unworthy, I I come to Christ, I reach out desperately and I'm immediately healed. She just preaches her testimony to everybody that would listen to it. She publicly exposes her need for Jesus in a culture that admits and sees her unclean and then she testifies to the power of Jesus and how he heals her. This is awesome and I'm, I'm gonna do some really weird thing here. I'm gonna, it's gonna seem like a It's gonna seem like I'm taking a John out of left field. This is not another sermon. But go with me to Revelation and talk about dragons for a second. Yeah, that's weird. Revelation 12. It's at the very back of the Bible. It's the last book. Revelation 12. It's gonna feel like I'm starting a new message, but I'm not. Just stick with me. Revelation 12, nine to eleven. I'm gonna read here. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. And he was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down to him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, "'Now the salvation and the power "'and the kingdom of our God and the authority "'of his Christ have come for the accuser "'of our brothers and has been thrown down. "'Who accuses them day and night before God and they have conquered him, listen to this, they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Here's what I'm getting at, listen, we are at a permanent, current, endless, nonstop war. A war with our culture, a war with our families, a war with our sinful nature, a war with our churches, a war with society, everything. We are at this crazy nonstop war, but if we wanna slay the dragon, if we wanna conquer Satan, if we wanna defeat death, our role in it is first, not us, it's the blood of the lamb, it's Jesus Christ, and the second one involves us, it's the word of our testimony. That's where we jump in, that's where we start preaching what God has done in our lives. What has he done? How did he take you from death to life? What does that look like in your life? What has he done? What are the simple things? And it might be four words. It might be, man, I was healed immediately. Tell your story of what Jesus done. There is weight and incredible power with the story of Jesus Christ and what he's done in your life. There's so much talk about revival today. If we want a revival, by the way, which is led and sparked by the Holy Spirit, if you wanna see one, start telling your testimony. Start telling people that you don't know and people that you know really well, but what Jesus has done in your life, how he has changed you, how he has brought you from death to life. is another story. Again, it feels like a whole different message. I'm not gonna do a whole different message. I'm on time, we're good. We're gonna look at that just just for a moment. It's a similar story of a similar woman, the woman at the well, Samaritan woman. So instead of this like physical condition, equally, she was a Samaritan. Hated people. She was sexually promiscuous, multiple husbands, unloved, couldn't even go to the well with the rest of the woman, had to go at the worst time of the day in the middle of the day to get her water because no one wanted to be near her, see here, Talk to her, be part of her life. There's just this this scene of the woman and Jesus comes up and just starts to share his love with this woman. He starts to call her out in love of her sin. And if you look at John chapter four, verse 28, this is where it starts to go. I'll read it. It says, leaving her jar of water, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. This could be the Messiah. A few verses later, it says, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. Verse 42 goes on and says, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said, but now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man is really the savior of the world. She just started to run around town and say, hey, I'm crazy sinful, but that guy knew it and he restored me, and he healed me, and he said everything about my life, and he still loves me, and he talked to me, and he found me valuable, and he found me worthy of talking to." And people are like, what? What? So intrigued and so like, amazed at what she's saying, they started to believe, and then they go see him, they're like, hey, we don't even need your testimony more. It's not just you, but we've heard it. This guy's the savior of the world. Just because she started to tell her testimony. Folks, it's not a testimony that's like really exciting to tell. It's a hard one to tell. Preaching your testimony, telling what Jesus has done, will spark revivals as the Holy Spirit moves through people. There's two like broken, sinful, unloved women. Just just two little women in the middle of history. Just two women that were unloved, unvalued. And they're just shouting out, I was a sinner, and Jesus Christ saved me. Listen, the significance of our testimony of what God has done in our lives is earth shattering, it's revival starting, it's dragon slaying, it's hope restoring, church reviving, Christ glorifying, disciple making, it changes everything. Your story changes everything. What Christ has done in you changes everything. We're called to tell everyone, not, not love our life, even unto death we're called to do it, which means that it's the cost of being ostracized. It's the cost of being mocked, maybe in your work. It's the cost of being rejected. It's the cost of being looked down upon. But Jesus has changed everything in your life and if you're a Christ follower, we can't not. We have to. That's a response of us. We have to release our worship in such a way that we can teach and preach the gospel about what our hearts have seen. I'm gonna go back to the story and just a question, why would Jesus call her out? Why would Jesus call her out of the crowd? He he knew who it was. Why? I think Jesus wanted this. I think he wanted to see this woman's, I think he wanted everyone to see this woman's faith, probably knowing who she was, knowing what she did. I want, I want them to see your faith and I want them to hear your testimony. I think he calls her out so this woman can know that she is loved, that it wasn't by mistake, it wasn't by accident that Jesus himself healed her by choice. He wants to publicly show this woman that she is valued, that she has worth that she is eternally loved by a king. It's because of his healing and his redemption, because of that she is restored, fully restored and has worth and value. Jesus isn't, this is even, even better. He doesn't just call her out and say, I want you to tell your testimony. He calls her out. And he calls her daughter. Like, like there are Jews right here, rabbis, Pharisees who won't even look at her. They'd rather bleed than even look at her. They have so little love and value, but Jesus doesn't just look at her. He heals her and then he calls her daughter saying, you're mine, you're part of my family now. You're adopted into my family. You have the inheritance of a king. Like that is so sweet. He says, daughter, your faith has made your well go in peace. He's saying it's not the energy that you took to get here, it's, it's certainly not my garment that you touched, it's not the good deeds that you're trying to do, but simply your faith in who Jesus is that has made you well. Jesus looks at the unclean. By the way, if you're here this morning and you're feeling that way and you don't know Jesus and you haven't felt restoration that he brings listen he looks at the unclean he looks at what culture and sometimes churches see as dirty or rejected and he says i can restore you i can restore you and then i'm going to call you daughter then i'm going to call you son like he calls us daughter and son he didn't make her she didn't make him unclean he made her clean in response to that she shares her testimony what is your response Christian by the way if you are not a Christian here I'm so thankful you're here I also want you to know what we're called to do so if you're sitting on the outside of the faith and you're questioning it this is what Christ is calling Christians to do we're called to go and preach the goodness of God in our lives we're not called to collect money we're not called to give you robes we're not called to do anything weird we are just called to express what God has done in our lives at the cost of everything so you would hear the good news about how you can be free from your sin I've heard it said, preach the gospel to yourself every morning. What that means is when you wake up, recognize that I've sinned against the holy God and because of that I'm separated from God eternally. But Jesus comes and he has restored and redeemed me, forgiven me, calls me holy, calls me son. Every morning we should be preaching that to ourselves so we're reminded of who we are under Christ. So when I look at this story, it would be remiss if I didn't preach the gospel. I want to share with you the gospel. How does does this relate to the good news? Here's the story. Sin, sin is what separates us from a perfect holy God. Your sin, my sin, all of our sin, we're sinful. It separates us from a perfect and holy God. Sometimes family, maybe a church, maybe someone makes you feel unworthy or unholy or unrighteous. Maybe you know yourself. Let me tell you, because of our sin, we are unworthy, unholy, and unrighteous. But because of Jesus, we're made holy. We're made worthy. We're made righteous. <laughs> like, wow! That's just the gospel story in this one, this one woman who is so desperate to be healed. The whole gospel is wrapped up in one little story. It's, an, it's like an in-between story of, of Jairus and his daughter who's going to die and be raised to life. There's just this like little in-between story. And in that little tiny story, your little tiny lives that you may feel insignificant, the entire gospel is preached. Jesus just does this incredible thing when when we reach out with faith of who he is, faith that he can heal us. He just does it, and it's immediate. So one of the questions I have for you today is, do you need healing? Is your heart sinful? Is it desperate? Desperate? Are you desperately looking for hope and truth? Are you, are you wanting to be righteous, but you feel like you can't? You feel like you're separated from God. Are you, are you wanting to be healed today? Because Christ is like, hey, I'm right here. Reach out. Ask. I'll heal you immediately. Like you could leave this place saved and alive forever. You could leave this place for the first time saying, I have a hope in Christ that I never had before. I have a life that I've never had before. The greatest story, the biggest part of this story is the full redemptive work of Christ, and it's found on the cross. But I also don't want to miss the second part of the story. I don't want to ignore that there is a physical healing in this story. Because our church, we fully believe, it'd be crazy if we didn't, but we fully believe that God restores your heart, heals you, raises you from death to life with with the sins of your life, he raises you from death to life, but he also physically heals. God heals whoever he chooses and whoever he wants and whoever he would heal. Now, sometimes it's a struggle. You're like, why won't he heal me? But God says, in my time, I'll heal and restore you. But God does heal. And if this morning you're like wrestling with this and you would like to experience prayer and someone pray over you, please come to the front. We would love, we'll have some elder come down, I'll be here, we we would love to pray with you over healing, but I don't want you to miss this very significant part. She did not need a priest, she did not need a pastor, she did not need a rabbi to go straight to Jesus to get healing. We have full unconditional access because of Christ's work on the cross, to God the Father, to make our case, to plead to God through Jesus. We have that access. So please, if you're, if you're not here, you don't come up. When you drive away, please open your heart and just say, Jesus, please come please heal me, please walk with me. You don't need me, you don't need the church to pray and have an open relationship with Jesus, with God the Father. But if you would like prayer this morning, that's something we would just cherish. We would love, we have pastors here, we would love to pray with you this morning. And for those who are Christians, as we wrap up, worship team can come up. To those who are Christians here, how do you release your worship? Look at this little story of this, broken, broken woman. Look at even the, just the brief story we talked about the woman at the well. Look at their, look at their lives. Look at how devastated they were. And look at their response. The response was to use their mouth to preach the gospel to everyone they had access to. She, the, the first, the first woman just yelled to everybody there. The second one ran into town and told all the Samaritans. What is your response? What are you doing with your mouth? Are you preaching the testimony of what Jesus has done in your life? Are you actively searching for people to tell the truth of what God has done in your life? Church, Christians, share your testimony. And awkward, if you brought an unbeliever here, tell them your testimony. Now you know why they're doing it. Share your testimony with the world. Share what God has has done, and then watch what God will do. Let's pray, can you stand with me while we pray? God, you are a good, holy, righteous king. And in all your glory and in all your splendor and all your perfection, you would, you would come humbly and you would find this woman. In the middle of this mess of culture, you would find this woman and you would love her in such a way that she would, she would be healed immediately and just preach the goodness of you in her life. God, I pray that we would respond the same way. I pray that we would release our worship this way, that we would preach the goodness of God in our lives at all costs, even, even to death, that it wouldn't phase wouldn't us because we know of our eternity with you. We're confident in our salvation with you. God, as we leave here, help us to be deeply, deeply confronted with what we're doing with our lives. Help us to be challenged. God, for those of us here that, that may not know you, for those of us here who have not necessarily called you king or have not or have said not say that you are the Messiah, God, I pray that they would question who you are. Ask about the truth of who Jesus is. Call out to you for restoration and healing from death to life. God, as we sing this last song, come to the altar, I pray that we would think of the words. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Are you broken? Just come, just come to Jesus. He changes everything. In your perfect and holy name, church, let's sing.